Good morning, Connection Point Church. How are you doing? Good. All right, some of y'all are all right. Well, the rest of y'all, happy Easter. Glad that you're here. Prove it. That's a, uh, an interesting line, prove it. You know, there's a, an Easter greeting that Christians give among Christians. In fact, we'll practice it real quick. Uh, when one Christian says, he is risen, there's a response, he is risen indeed. We'll try that out real quick. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And what's interesting is Easter among believers, among people who have faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it's just kind of a given. It's kind of a fact. But whenever you're talking to someone who is not a believer, maybe someone who doesn't believe in God, if you throw out this line, he has risen, you're more likely to be met with a response of prove it, prove it. I was having a conversation, uh, it was probably a year ago now, it was with a friend of mine who is not a believer, and he was kind of curious as to why I believed in Christ, why I believed in God, and I told him, it's all about Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday is why I believe in Jesus, because there's this, this moment that happened in history, happened on Easter Sunday, and it makes all the difference in the world. These women came to this tomb where they knew Jesus had been put and they found these two men and these men say to them, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen. I said, I'm a, I'm a Christian because he has risen and, and this changes everything about life if Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I said, you've got to understand from my perspective, Easter Sunday changes everything. I said it proves that Jesus Christ was divine. If, if Jesus Christ died and then rose again, he's God. And if he's God, think about the implications of this. I said this means there's an afterlife. This means you have a purpose. This means that everything in my life can be resurrected. If God can raise the dead, he can certainly raise me. And I said, I don't just believe it because I, I, I read it in a book. I've experienced it. I said, do you realize that once I begin to believe in Jesus Christ and the resurrected Christ, that my life changed? For over 20 years, I struggled with depression. I, I tried to, to do everything I could to come out of it. I'm telling you, I read books. I, I would get up and I would do anything that would make me feel better that day. And I would even pray. And after praying and praying and praying, one day, a pastor prays over me. And in a moment, this cloud of depression that I could not remove myself is gone. I said, do you realize there's been struggles in my life? I've struggled with habitual sins in my life that I tried everything to overcome. Whether it was simply lust or pride or whatever it was, God took it from me. I, I proved to myself I could not fix it. I trusted God. I asked for the power of Jesus to come into my life and to have victory on this. And, and eventually God gave me a victory. I said, I'm a Christian because I've seen the power of the resurrected Christ every single day in my life. I've seen miracle after miracle in my life. His response to this was, I wish I believed like you believe. 
He said, I wish I had faith like you. I wish I'd seen some of the things you have seen. He said, but I cannot believe in God. I look around, I see evil. I see things happening to good people. I can't believe that God exists. In fact, I look around, I don't see him anywhere. You know, the truth is, I understand where he's coming from. In fact, I think all of us in some way or another are going to go through a journey where we have to really ask ourselves about the existence of God. Does God exist? Now, I'm to a point in my life now where I could not live as if God doesn't exist. I could not. But I'll tell you, there was a time in my life, there was a part of my journey for me, it was when I was in college and I decided, you know what, I think I'm being called to go into the ministry. And I had this point in my life where I said, you know what, I probably ought to decide for sure that I believe that God exists. That's probably something that needs to be mine. I need to own that rather than just being the faith of my parents because I've always been told this. I need to make sure this is what I believe. Can you imagine how hard it would be to be a pastor and talk about God every week if you didn't believe in fact, I've, I've met people like that, and that's an existence I couldn't go through. And so I went through a period of, of reading every book I could, philosophy, science, um, books written by atheists, books written by believers, and everything that I saw began to just reveal some things to me. I began to see that this proof that I'm looking for is probably not the way to go about this. In fact, I realized that there's really... Nothing in life that one little bit of proof convinces. In fact, usually it's the clues of life. It's not the, the, the reason we believe anything. It's because of, of the puzzle pieces, not one bit of proof. We see this and this, and it all seems to fit together. It all seems to give us a worldview, a belief that this is how everything works. I think most of our beliefs are a puzzle, not a proof. And so I quit looking for this one proof that would change everything. And I began to look at everything as a possible clue. And the second thing that I did is I, I began to realize that even the people that were demanding proof were living as if God actually existed. The people who said, there's no God until I see proof. In reality, I would look at certain aspects of their life and I would think, you know what? They say they don't believe it, but they're living as if he exists in some way or another. And this just stuck with me. And so the heart of this series that we're starting today really revolves around one question. It's one question that's going to be asked many times over the, next course, the course of the next few weeks. We're going to look at different clues, different aspects of life, and we're simply going to ask, would I expect for this clue to exist if God didn't exist? Would I expect to see this in this world if God didn't exist in this world? And what's interesting is we're going to come to different answers on our different solutions to that question. Some of us who maybe don't believe in God will say, well, there's tons of explanations for this. And then some of us who have faith are going to say, well, yeah, because God exists. So we're going to come to different conclusions, but we're also going to have to ask the, the question, could I live if this isn't true? Could I live as if God doesn't exist? Because to me, that's in my journey been one of the, the key aspects of discerning the divine clues of life.
And just to be uh, clear, we're not going to start with Jesus on the cross resurrected, although that's where I'm at. But in this series, we're going to start from the, the, the question, the general question, does God exist? And we're going to move from does God exist to Jesus Christ dying on a cross? Is it reasonable to believe that he rose from the dead and that we should give our life? And I think we're going to get there when you look at all of the clues. But today I simply want to ask a question. But before I get there, I want to explain and make sure we're clear. When I say, would this exist if God exists and can we live by this? I want to give you an example of what I mean. You can pick anything. Would love exist if God didn't exist? Would love exist if God didn't exist? That's just an example. Now, a neuroscience would tell you, of course, you have chemical reactions that are going on in your brain and they're creating an emotion. They're creating this, they're, they're firing in your brain and they're happening all the time. And that's what produces this emotion called love. You don't need God to explain it. Love is, is this chemical reaction. Every emotion you feel is chemical reaction. So there's an explanation there. But my problem is when I look at all of the clues, is there anyone living as if love is just a bunch of chemical reactions? Is there any mother who's holding her child and she's looking, man, I've got a lot of chemical reactions right now, but I could put this away and I'm sure there would be more and can, can rationalize a way that this is just these chemical reactions happening in my brain and they're not more than this. There's not something more powerful outside of me. Is there anyone who's ever had their heart broken and they're able to just simply say, you know, it's not that big a deal. It was just a chemical reaction. It's not that big a deal. I'm going to have another, I'm going to go create another chemical reaction over here. You know, what's interesting also, if it's just chemical reactions, why does love supersede so many other chemical reactions in our mind? You know, I have a love for my wife that has more than chemical reactions. Because I know that I also have other chemical reactions sometimes when I see attractive people, attractive ladies. I sometimes have chemical reactions if I'm honest. But for some reason, I, I decided... And I can't live any other way. I've decided that this chemical reaction, if it's just out of love, for some reason, that's more important than anything else. That I will suppress any other chemical reaction because love is stronger than just this belief that it's just inside of me. I don't think I could live. I mean, I, I, not, that, not that it would be hard to get up and live. I don't think physically anyone's actually living as if love is just a chemical reaction. It becomes a clue. Now, I will be the first to admit, we all have biases and I have a bias, okay? My bias is I believe in God. I've always believed in God. My parents, I had a drug problem. My parents drug me to church. You've heard that before. I, every single week, was in church, okay? And we would arrive at church the way some of y'all arrived at church, kicking and screaming. And I'm talking about the men, right? Not the kids, right? And we arrived, and, and every week we're there, and my, every week my, I would hear these messages, God loves me. I would see it modeled in my family. So I have a kind of an, a bias, an inclination. I think God exists because I've seen it my whole life. I've been told it my whole life, and I, I recognize that that's, that's a bias. But I also know that everyone who doesn't believe in God also has a bias. And I think we need to be clear that wherever you are, you have a bias. Did you know Charles Darwin, who came up with a theory of uh, survival of the fittest that led into the uh, theory of evolution and uh, has impacted the world. He didn't believe 
in Jesus Christ was a savior. He didn't believe in God. But what's interesting is the clues that led him there were not the clues of science, of his theory. He did not see his theory as a clue that disproves or proves the existence of God. Instead, in his autobiography, he talks about the death of his daughter when she was 10 years old and how he couldn't reconcile the fact that a God could exist and allow his daughter to die. He thought about his grandfather who passed away and his grandfather was not a a Christ follower. So he had it in his mind, if my grandfather died and this book is true, well, then my grandfather might be in hell. My grandfather is separated. I cannot and I will not follow a God who would put my grandfather there. And what's interesting is just to say he had a bias and he was honest about this bias. He did not want to believe. It was more rebellion than a proof In fact, Thomas Nagel, who's a philosopher that taught at at New York University, I think he was probably more the, the, the most honest. This is what he said. He said, it isn't just that I don't believe in God. I naturally hope that I am right in this belief. It is that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God because he understood if God exists, there are implications of my life that are gonna change. In fact, if if God exists, then I'm gonna have to change a lot of things in my life. And so today, we're going to start looking at one particular clue. I think to me, it was one of the first clues that really began to say, you know what, it's reasonable to believe that God exists. The question is simply this, would life exist if God didn't exist? Would life exist if God didn't exist? And let's remember There are going to be two answers. There are going to be people who say, of course, life could exist if God doesn't exist. And there are going to be some of us who say, there's no way life could exist if God didn't exist. In 2003, one of the most uh, famous atheists of the 20th century signed a document called the Humanist Manifesto. And this manifesto was a document that said that there's no need for God, that humanity is progressing, and that all ethics Everything dealing with existence can be created from within humanity. The most famous atheist in the world at that time who'd spent his life trying to convince people that God didn't exist, he signed that document saying there is no God. 2003, he signs the document. 2004, he reverses his decision. 2004, he declares not that he's a Christian. He declares simply that, God, that a God must exist, that some deity must exist. When asked about this, and there were people that were irate because he had signed this document, when asked about this, Anthony Flew says, I have to follow the evidence. I have to follow the clues. He actually gave several reasons, clues that that had led him to this. They're all interesting. I would love to talk to you about it later, but today I simply want to look at one. He pointed first and foremost to the fine-tuning of the world, of the universe, In fact, he said, as many people have discovered, we seem to live in what is called the Goldilocks zone. Our earth is not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. Francis Collin, who was a cellular biologist, he he looked at the world and he began to say the same thing. He said, it's fine-tuned. In fact, it's as if something thought we were coming, something knew we were coming, Francis Collin says. In fact, he even points to things like math, 
He was astounded that math on earth is the same as math on the other side of the universe. He said, how could everything be this precise? Is it true that the universe knew we were coming? You know, David, the king of Israel, wrote a psalm, Psalm 19, and he believed it. He came to the same conclusion I came to when I began to, to research and consider this. This is what David said. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim above his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man, it runs its course with joy. It rises is from the, its rise, rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. David said, when you look at this world and you look to the skies and you look at the universe, it's declaring, it's shouting the glory of God. But is this true? Today, I wanna to give you 10 proofs or 10 examples of the earth being fine-tuned. And in fact, these examples come from a professor of mine when I was in seminary, and his name was Dr. Bill Toller. He gave 10 uh, proofs, and I'm going to use at least nine of his, one of my own. And I want you to see that when you look just at 10 reasons, 10 things that had to line up perfectly, it begins to declare the glory of God. But before we Listen to these proofs. I want to play a game with you. I want to point out the fact that nobody actually lives their life with the probabilities that we would have to believe for God to, to not exist. Scientists tell us that uh, the earth or the universe should be four billion times bigger than it is for us to actually be alive, but it's not. So therefore, we are in a perfect place at a perfect time. So we're going to play a game. A probability. I'm going to come down here because I want to give, uh, I want to be truthful. I don't want you to accuse me of lying, okay? I'm going to flip a coin and we're just going to see how probability works. And I want to show you that there's something interesting about probability. There's a switch that you're going to see and we're all going to go through it eventually. Now I've got some witnesses here and y'all are going to be uh, called on, but not, it'll be passively. Don't worry. You can breathe, okay? I'm just going to flip it, okay? What are the odds that I could flip? Well, this is a quarter. What are the odds that I could flip heads one time? Go ahead, yell it out. You can't get this one wrong. If everyone yells it, I can't hear anybody's answer. 50%, one out of two, right? So let's see. It is? Heads. It's heads. Okay, so we're good, right? What are the odds that we could flip it? And I hope this works for a little while, you know what I mean? What are the odds we could flip this twice and get heads? It's 25%. It's one out of four. We've got, we've got some students over here. The rest of you are like, I hope we got some kids here. Okay, that's good. I might need to go over this side. All right, we'll flip it. All right. We got, we got heads. That's pretty good. Hey, it's working out. All right. What are the odds we could go three in a row? It is 12.5%, which would be one in eight. Okay. The easier way to think about this is one, one out of two, one out of four, one out of eight. The next one will be one out of 16. All right, so let me just do this pretty quick. 
We got heads. That's three in a row. Let's do it again. The odds of this, one in 16. Heads. Maybe we should head to Vegas. Hey, one in 16. It's pretty good. Let's go. Wait a second. Some of y'all are accusing me of some pretty nasty stuff here. All right. What we got? Hey, we're going ahead. We should go to Vegas, right? Right. No, I'm a pastor. I can't go to Vegas. Mike should go to Vegas, maybe. Now, listen. Here we go. Here we go. I'm just kidding. The odds of me flipping this 10 times in a row heads would be one in a thousand. But what's interesting is no one even lets me get to one in a thousand before you begin to say, it is indeed a double-sided quarter. There are two sides of heads. And what's interesting is to get to, to a billion, we would have to flip this 20 times in a row, heads every time. To get to 10 billion, which is the same it would take to have 10 evidences, 10 examples that say this, these all must line up. 10 examples would be the same as 10 billion if you do the math. 10 billion would be flipping a coin 30 times in a row. What's interesting is you guys won't even let me get to eight before you say the game is rigged. The game is rigged. There's a switch that goes off when probability becomes, when the odds get too odd, we won't let ourselves live by the fact that there's some, this is just the luckiest day of all of our lives. That somehow in both services, I was able to flip the coin. We say it's rigged. Somebody has fixed it. You realize just one billion, how big a number that is. A billion minutes ago, Jesus' best friend John was alive writing. A billion minutes ago. A billion. If you had a billion dollars and you wanted to spend it all, and you decided to spend $100,000 a day, you will run out of money in 250 years. One billion. Now let's talk 10 billion. The odds that 10 of these examples all exist. Just 10, and there are thousands I could have given. I wanna just go through what Dr. Toller came up with because he researched these pretty thoroughly. He even documented and, and resourced or, or, or documented all of his sources. The axis of the earth is tilted 23 degrees. If you've ever seen this thing called a globe, you'll notice that it's tilted. We don't see them anymore, but there's Google Earth. You can zoom out far enough on Google Earth. Same thing. Now, the earth is actually tilted and it actually is kind of moving at, at an angle. Does anybody know the angle? 23 degrees. I'm just going to assume whoever was talking said it. You're smart. 23 degrees. If this were 24 degrees, do you realize that the oceans would evaporate and life would not be sustainable? The speed of the rotation of the earth is 1,000 miles an hour. If it were slower or faster, life doesn't exist. Imagine slowing down the rotation of the earth just by a factor of 10. All of a sudden, the days become 10, per, or 10 times longer. Can you imagine August in Texas with a day that has no night for, for hours and hours and hours? Can you imagine if we didn't have the cool night to get us down to 98 degrees to cool off, right? We would burn. Life would not be sustainable. The, the wobble of the rotation, it's rotating, but it's also wobbling. 
and it wobbles up exactly, precisely three degrees. If it wobbled up four degrees, the oceans would flood and we would live in a water world without Kevin Costner. Can you believe that too? That would be rough. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And it's not because you weren't born when that movie came out. It's because you don't even know who Kevin Costner is. The wobble, the wobble down of the rotation as well. It wobbles up three degrees. It also wobbles down. The exact opposite would happen if it wobbled down four degrees. The oceans would, uh, would, would flood. So one we would have it, the oceans would die. They would drain. The other one, the oceans would flood. Either way, we lose life. The fifth one. The depths of the ocean, this is my favorite. The ocean, the deepest part of the ocean is Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. It's 36,200 feet deep. What oceanographers tell us is if the oceans were three to five feet deeper all around the world, all around the earth, there would be no life. It would actually change the temperature. The absorption of heat would change the world in such a way that we could not sustain life, which means... 36,200 feet, life. 36,205 feet, no life. The crust of the earth is 8,000 miles in diameter. If it were 20 feet more, scientists say we could not exist. There would, be, there would not be enough oxygen to sustain life. So 8,000 miles, everybody knows that. 42,240,000, right? Of course, everybody knows that. If it were 42,240,020, life doesn't exist. The rotation of the sun, it goes in a football shape. Y'all know this, right? It's not a perfect circle. It, it, the earth goes around the sun at 64,800 miles per second. If it were just a part slower, we would be sucked into the gravitational pull of the sun, and that's not good. If it were any faster, we would be slung out of orbit and we would freeze to death and life could not be sustained. Number eight, the surface of the sun is 12,000 degrees hot. Solar flares can reach 2 million degrees. Who knows how far away we are from the sun? 93 million miles. That's the perfect buffer to give us the temperatures that we have for life to exist. If we were any closer, and it just, just a fraction, just enough to raise our temperatures, an average of 50 degrees either way, life could not exist. The moon causes tides to rise up to 60 feet in some places right now. Do you realize if we were just a, a fraction closer, a fraction further, if it's a fraction closer, we would have tidal waves that would reach the Rocky Mountains. The 10th one is just because I wanted to give you even more of these, so I'm going to just give you one, the physical constants in physics. There are many of these, and they're all precise measurements. And most scientists say life could not exist if these constants are not, were not what they are. Some of them are the expansion of the universe. The universe is, expans is expanding at a constant rate. If it were any slower, it would form a singularity again. It would collapse in on itself. If it were any uh, faster, then it would expand at a rate in which we, we would never see any stars in the sky. We would be on our own and we would not exist. You know, the, the, the force of gravity, that's a constant. And if it were not what it was, life would not exist. Every single atom, every single nucleus has a weight 
And if the smallest portion weighed one trillionth of a part different, life doesn't exist. There are constants all around us. There are examples all around us. But as it is, the axis is right. The rotation is right. The wobbled up is right. The wobbled down is right. The depths of the ocean is right. The crust of the earth is right. The rotation of the sun is perfect. The surface of the sun is just, or the, the distance between us and the sun is perfect. The moon's distance is perfect. And the physical constant, or the, the, the constants in physics are perfect for life. The probabilities of just those 10, one in 10 billion, should lead us to at least examine, could the deck be rigged? Could the coin be a gimmick? Could somebody have set this in motion? Is it, as David said, the heavens are shouting. They declare the glory of God. You know, there are three possibilities here, right? The first possibility is that we are the luckiest people in the world for life to exist. But most of us, we don't accept that either way. Even most scientists would not accept that. The other theory that most scientists would give you is there is a multiverse, and the multiverse could mean two things. It could be that there are multiple universes, and because there are an infinite number of universes, then there's an, the probability doesn't matter. That's a reasonable explanation. It could be that by multiple universes, that the universe has been expanding and contracting for an infinite amount of time, and therefore probability doesn't matter. So it's, it's plausible, but the third one also is plausible. It could be that God exists, that it was designed. Astronomer Neil deGrasse Tyson, who is not a believer, on page 32 in his book, Astrophysics for the Rest of Us, for People in a Hurry, he makes the conclusion that the scientist and the religious man are on the same footing, that none of us know how it started. We could answer this. Does God exist? Because life exists? No, I believe probability. I believe it makes it impossible. Or I believe I'm going to have to take the leap of faith and get rid of probability. God doesn't exist, but there's, there's got to be infinite somewhere. Or it could be that God exists and God created and designed this life, not so that life would exist, so that you would exist. Think about this. The implications of just God existing means he created all of this for a purpose and some purpose so that life would design because he created this Goldilocks zone, this place to where life is going to exist because he wanted you to exist. Which means... This trend that so many of us see every day, some of us might be living out. A trend to say, you know what, I, I believe God exists, but I'm not going to go overboard. I'm not going to orient my whole life. I'm not going to be a Jesus freak. I'm not going to just orient everything in my life, my money, my relationships, everything around just this idea that God exists. You know, even religious people get caught up in that mindset. There's a moment where Jesus is walking to the cross. He's on his way into Jerusalem for the final time. And people begin to worship him, not just as a good man. People begin to say, look, there is a God of the universe. They say, look, Hosanna, God in the highest. 
And the religious people look at Jesus and say, Jesus, tell them to quit worshiping you as if you're the creator. And Jesus says to them, if I were to make them stop worshiping, the rocks would cry out. Jesus says, listen, you look around, creation is crying out. But yet some of us, we say we believe, but we're gonna wait until the rocks cry out. I have to have that proof. We're gonna close our eyes to every clue that we ever see. But the implications are huge. Whatever struggle you're facing right now, do you realize whether you're trying to figure out how to make tomorrow and get through tomorrow, whether you're trying to figure out how, how to find joy or your self-esteem, whatever it is, if God designed all of this, why would any of us rebel? Why would we not say, you know what, if I'm going to have the best marriage, the best life, I'm going to look to the designer and say, I should probably do everything he says to do. I should probably figure out, however I can figure it out, I should probably look and see, how is this thing made to work? The conclusion that I've come to, and mine didn't just, not with just this piece of evidence, but a life of examining clues, and I, I came to the, the, the belief that, you know, Jesus is the savior of the world, that he was divine. And I realized that Jesus makes life better, but he also makes me better at life. I realized when I orient my life around God that it changes everything. Changed everything about my finance, my relationship with my kids, my wife. It changed everything about the purpose that I feel every day. As I went on this journey of faith years ago, I read every book I could. And what I began to see is what some people saw as clues or evidence that God doesn't exist became a moment of worship for me. I was reading a book called The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins, who's a very smart guy. He's an evolutionary biologist, and he's the foremost evolutionary biologist. In fact, in his, in his field, let me qualify it, he, he's the expert. But he writes this, this book that God can't exist, and that it's ridiculous to believe, by the title you can see it, The God Delusion. But he says this statement, and when he said this statement, I just had this moment of worship even as I'm reading this of a man trying to convince me God couldn't exist, this is what he said. He said, so a God who is capable of sending intelligible signals to millions of people simultaneously and receiving messages from all of them simultaneously, this cannot be. Whatever else he might be, simple is not it. Such bandwidth does not exist. In other words, he said, There's so, there would be so much data to create this entire universe and to communicate simultaneously. And if God isn't even a brain, if he's a spirit, there's no way this can exist. And when he said that, I said, oh my gosh, I've been worshiping the wrong God. I've been worshiping this small God. But if there's so much, Dad, how big is our God? If God exists, the degree to which he exists is so infinitely bigger than what any of us can imagine. We have no idea what God is capable in our life. We have no idea. I believe God is capable of raising a man from the dead. I believe he did. I believe that God is capable of making the blind see. And I believe he has. I believe that God is, is capable of freeing an addict because I've seen it multiple times. 
I believe that God can give the purposeless purpose because I felt it. I believe that every single person here who's struggling with any sort of identity crisis, trying to figure out who you are, I believe your designer can tell you who you are. Not by who you need to be, but by who he created you to be. I believe if you are lacking joy, I believe God can give you that joy. But why would we rebel? If it becomes at least a possibility that God exists. Because most of us would at least have to step back and say, I'm not sure I can live if he doesn't. My hope for us in this series is simple. I want to challenge whatever you, wherever you are in your faith. If you've come to the conclusion through the bias, your experience, whatever it is, that God doesn't exist, I want you to just come visit us, listen to the podcast however you want every week. And ask this question, is it reasonable that all these things could exist if God didn't? And don't just take the one answer. Begin to look at them all and begin to discover, I can come up with a different answer for every single question. Or I can come up with one. God exists. But if I come to any other conclusion than God exists, can I, am I living as if he doesn't? And I think you will find that all of us are living as if he exists, as if these conditions cannot be avoided. But if you're a believer and you come to church when you feel like it, you pray when you feel like it, you're kind of in, and you come to the conclusion, you know what, I really believe God exists, but I'm still having all these struggles in my life. I want to at least maybe convince you, you should give everything to Jesus Christ. And as we point more and more to the cross and more and more to what God is actually doing in your life, if you were to orient every part of your life around him, you would see that Jesus makes life better, but he makes you better at life. And that's my hope. My hope is that you will find life and life abundant. Let's pray. Not one person here, Lord, would choose to live a life without purpose, to live a life without love, to live a life without meaning. Not one person here would, live a, would want to live a life where beauty doesn't exist except in our own minds through chemical reactions. Not one of us here would like to live a life thinking that we're not good enough and that joy is ultimately unattainable. And even if it does exist, it won't matter. Lord, there's not one person here who when we really examine our life could say, my life would be better if God didn't exist. I believe that. But I hope through your spirit, you'll begin to reveal into us, not just that you exist, but that you exist for us, that you have created us because you love us and you want the best for us. And Lord, I pray as we respond to your call this week, We'll become to just see how much you love us. Anticipate the day and find joy and hope and meaning that may, we may never have found apart from you. Lord, I pray not one person leaves this place today 
without the wonder of a God who can raise the dead. I pray that not one person walks out of here with a marriage that they think is in the grave. Or maybe their economic situation is in the grave. Maybe their body image is in the grave. Lord, we have a God who has raised the dead. And we come here not just because you exist, but because we believe you will raise the dead and that we too will be lifted up because you are God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.